Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see your smiling faces here in person. So glad that you've joined us today here in person and also online. Before I dive into the message, I just want to highlight a couple things. Number one, this week is VBS. And so I would encourage you, make sure that your kids and your grandkids and your neighbor's kids and their grandkids are registered. You can do that online. Go ahead and just register your neighbor's kids and tell them, look, I'm going to take them to VBS this week. Get them here. Uh, It's going to be tremendous. We have the best children's ministry on the planet and uh, so grateful for the team of people who serve the next generation here at our church. And this coming Thursday, Friday, and Saturday is going to be second to none. And so make sure that your kids don't miss that and that, uh, that they're part of it. And then the other thing that I want to say is next week is Father's Day. Next Sunday is Father's Day. So it's not too late. If you haven't gotten uh, your dad a gift yet, I'm just giving you a heads up. Next Sunday is Father's Day. And here's what tends to happen on Mother's Day. On Mother's Day, moms are calling their kids, and they're like, you know, they're, the kids say, what do you want for Mother's Day? And mom's like, I just want all my babies in church together, right? And so Mother's Day, people dress up, and they get their picture taken, and their babies are all in church together, and they're happy. And here's what I want to say to all of the fathers in the room today. Can we be just as passionate about getting our kids to church on Father's Day this coming Sunday, right? Let's not be passive about it, but instead let's say, kids, we're going to recreate after church. And and on Father's Day, we're going to come and we're going to hear from God and we're going to worship him and then go do the other stuff, add it on to that. And so I just want to encourage you, dad, step up, lead on Sunday. When you get up in the morning, set your alarm a little bit earlier and I know it's Father's Day. I know it's about you. But how about on that day, you're like, kids, you're going to get up. You're going to get dressed. I'm going to help you. And then we're going to help get out of the house. And you guys show up early on Sunday morning. That's what I want to encourage you to do. I want there to be so much passion in your life as men of God that it's not a drag for you to get up out of bed and come to church. But instead, every Sunday morning, whatever your hobby is, if you knew that you were going golf that day, I guarantee you wouldn't drag your butt out of bed to go golfing or fishing or boating, right? Let's have that same excitement when it comes to church. Let's wake up energized ready to go, and passionately leading our kids to church next Sunday. Let's go. Seriously, you can do it. It can start with you. So men of God, I just encourage you, I challenge you, lead the way next Sunday. Let's model to our kids an excitement for the word of God, an excitement for his church, and let's do it. So last year, Eric and I went to a conference in Dallas, Texas. We had the opportunity to go to Village Church where Matt Chandler is the pastor, and he preached a message in a a series that was so powerful, and I just thought our entire church needs to hear this. And so over the last few weeks, we've been taking his messages, personalizing them for our congregation, and I'll tell you, we're wrapping up this series called Unearthed Today. If you've missed any of these messages, I would encourage you to find us on YouTube or Spotify or Facebook or go to our website and watch or listen online and catch up on those messages. I hope that during this series, you've discovered how dangerous you are to the enemy. I really do. I want you to make trouble for the enemy. 
I want you to see the world through a biblical lens that should eradicate boredom from your life, should shake off indifference, and should have you leaning in to assured victory wherever the fight is for you. There uh, was a Scandinavian sociologist, maybe uh, some of you who would would know her words uh, very uh, familiarly. Is that a word? Thank you. Um, And I'm just kidding. Sorry. Uh, And so she summed up worldly identity, identity formation like this. This Scandinavian sociologist said, it's funny how some distance makes everything seem small. And the fear that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. There's no right. There's no wrong. There's no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Let it go. I'm one with the wind and the sky. Let it go. Let it go. You'll never see me cry here. Here I stand. Here I'll stay. Let the storm rage on. Why? Because the cold never bothered me anyway. That's right. That's what that Scandinavian sociologist said on the movie Frozen to, uh, to talk about worldly identity formation. And I'll just tell you this morning, I'm not dogging on the queen of Arendelle, but I will tell you, like, this is the stuff that's in the air that our kids are picking up on. And if we're not careful, we won't notice it. And I'm just telling you, that very song, that very statement is how the world determines their identity. And this stuff is being pushed upon us day after day, minute after minute, and every song that we listen to and every show that we consume. And so I just want you to be aware of what's in the air and make sure that when we're hearing this stuff and our kids are hearing this stuff, we're not letting that shape our kids' morality, but instead we do as Romeo talked about this morning. We go back to the Word of God. The primary way that the world is wanting to disciple you to discover your identity is to look within your heart and find your desires. How many know that our desires are deceptive? Our desires are deceptive. They're all over the place. And culture would tell us to find that desire and make that desire our identity. And so if it's a sexual compulsion or how do you identify, do you hear what's even happening in that question? This is looking in to find a desire and then owning it. And then finding a group of people who will come alongside of that and tell you that you are your deepest desire. And then after that, if there's still a little bit of something missing, you want something transcendent and so sprinkle some kind of spirituality on top. And so people spring a little bit of Jesus on top of something or they sprinkle a little bit of crystals or new age spirituality or, uh, or some kind of Wicca uh, stuff on top of it. And, and so uh, that's what people try to do. They look in and then look out and then look up. And culture tells us that we are our deepest desires. Then we need to find people to agree with us and then sprinkle some of that kind of spirituality on top of that. It also tells us that anybody who disagrees is oppressive. So how did this play out for the Queen of Arendelle? Did she end up, did she not end up all by herself in a castle in the mountains, angry, lonely, and prone to outbursts? Didn't that woman try to kill her and her sister? But this is the lie, that to find your deepest desire, and that's who you really are. How many know that your deepest desire can change before Tuesday? Right? Think about New Year's resolutions and how successful all of us have been with those. Right? So December 31st, we're going to change the world. January 1st, that's eh, not worth it, you know? And, uh, and so <laughs> desires, desires change. 
It's a horrible way to live, and so much of what's burning in the world is directly tied to this nonsense. The biblical worldview on identity formation is that you're not self-created. You're not self-created. We are God-created. And what a terrible thing to tell little kids, hey, kid, go ahead and form your own moral universe. How many of you struggle for your kids to even find their shoes this morning to come to church? Right, but yet somehow we tell them to shape and form their own moral universe, and a number of parents have punted on parenting because of this nonsense. Kids don't get to shape their moral influence. You as the mom and dad get to shape their moral influence. And some people might say, well, that's oppressive. Well, I'll just tell you that the culture is doing the same thing. So what are you going to do? Are you going to sit down and shut up and let somebody else shape your kid's moral formation? Or are you going to take what the Bible has told us is our responsibility and be an active part in shaping how the next generation sees Jesus? And so again, we go back to what we talked about at the beginning of this message. Men and women of God, let's lead the way. Let's passionately and fervently serve Jesus and model to the next generation what that looks like, and let's be actively engaged in their lives. Like, let's tell our kids, no, you don't find your deepest desires and then find a group of people who identify with that and then find some kind of spirituality to speak on top of it. Instead, kid, no, you just look up. You just look up to Jesus. You look into his word, and he already tells us who we are and what we are. I saw this post on Facebook describing an episode of the Andy Griffith show, Wow, Has Entertainment Changed? And uh, in this episode, there was a hobo that told Andy that he should just let Opie decide for himself how he wanted to live. Number one, I would just encourage you, don't let a hobo be the voice of wisdom in your life, right? Like there's clue number one. And so Andy had these words of wisdom. He said, no, I'm afraid it doesn't work that way. You can't let a youngin decide for himself. He'll grab at the first flashy thing with shiny ribbons on it. Then when he finds out there's a hook in it, it's too late. Wrong ideas come packaged with so much glitter that it's hard to convince them that other things might be better in the long run. All a parent can do is say, wait and trust me and try to keep temptation away. What a lesson. Somehow we've lost this basic truth. Too many people are worried about being their child's friend rather than being their parent. As parents, again, we have the responsibility to help point our kids towards Jesus and away from this nonsense of looking in, looking out, and then looking up. So again, we're not self-created, we're God-created. We're not self-defined, we're God-defined. And this is great news. We don't have to look into the deceptive desires of our heart and find a group of people who, uh, who uh, then affirm that and then look up to determine who we are. Instead, as followers of Jesus, we just look up. And so we don't have to create or construct our own moral universe or reality. There is a reality, and we get to live in it. The creator of that reality names me, he calls me by name, and he gives me my identity. And so I just get to breathe and walk, or in this case, unearth what's been buried I want you to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 20. We're going to look at a few verses in Deuteronomy chapter 20. It's also going to appear on the screen. Here's what it says. When you go out to war against your enemies, 
and you see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint, do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word and for the power that it has to transform our lives. God, we ask that over the next few moments that we would sense a demonstration of your spirit's power. Would your words bring, breathe hope into our lives this morning and would you speak so clearly to us in Jesus' name, amen. In the context of this verse, it's when you fight, not if you fight. It's when you fight, not if you fight. And when you go into battle, the Bible's honest. It's saying that you're outnumbered and uh, they have more horses and chariots that you can even count and you are weak and you feel lost. And this verse is talking about the terrible odds that they were up against. But in verse number four, it says, do not be afraid. For the, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. God will go with you against your enemies. We know as followers of Jesus that our enemy is not flesh and blood. There's an enemy behind our enemy. The Bible calls these principalities and powers. And this verse says when you look at how big it is, don't get nervous, for God is going to fight with you and go with you. Listen, in these verses, we see a call to action, not passivity. We see a call to action, not passivity. The Bible calls us to action and to not worry because God is going to fight for us. We can think back to uh, what we talked about with Moses, that he was the perfect man for the job. He spoke Egyptian. He knows the layout of Pharaoh's palace. He knows the culture. But then he says to God, who am I to go? And in that moment, God doesn't come back and list all of his qualifications and build up his self-esteem. Instead, he just says to Moses, go, and I'm going with you. Go, and I'm going with you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 10, Paul writes, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And so we're going to talk about the context of this for just a minute. Some of you read that, and you're like, I am what I am. See, honey, I am what I am. Paul said it. I am what I am. Like, that's taking words out of a verse and out of context that the Bible doesn't say. Right, and so I don't want anybody leaving here today going, that verse was for me. I am what I am. Can I tell you that God is a God who loves us too much to leave us where he finds us? And so when people say things like, well, I just am who I am. Look at my dad or look at my mom or look at my family of origin or look at all of this. I am because of that. What that does is say that God is too small to change and transform my life. And so I want to encourage all of us to say that's who I was before I met Jesus. But then I had an encounter with the Almighty God and the presence of the Holy Spirit that transformed me and made me, and I'm still a work in progress, but I refuse to go back to my past and be labeled by that and said I'm going to walk in the freedom that Jesus has for me. 
right? So by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul's saying it's because of the grace of God that I'm where I'm at right now. And his grace towards me was not in vain. Paul was a a, a horrible person. He murdered and persecuted Christians. He was awful. And what he's saying in this passage is by the grace of God, I'm no longer that. Instead, I'm a follower of Jesus, and his grace is not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Paul says, I worked harder than anyone, though it was not I, but the grace of God working in me. So how do we reject passivity when it comes to our spiritual walk? Well, there's two sentences from this series that I hope you'll never forget. And the first is this, is that we were made for the day, and the day was made for us. We were made for the day, and the day was made for us. This statement is biblical, and it's true. And some of you might wonder, do I have what it takes to do what God has asked me to do? We can point back to this and say, yes, we do. Not because of my own natural gifts, talents, or ability, but because I was made for the day, and the day was made for me. The other is how this plays out, and how it plays out is in deep work over time in community. Deep work over time in community. Deep work is when we put aside pretense and bring our full and honest selves into the presence of Jesus. And the Bible is littered with prayers like this. In Psalm chapter 139, 23 through 24, the psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is King David bringing his full, honest self into the presence of Jesus. This is where the deep heart work is done. This is where the secret sauce is, you bringing your full, honest self into the presence of Jesus. And I wonder how many people in this room or watching online this morning somehow think in a weird way that they're deceiving God with where their hearts actually are. Can I encourage you, just pray honest prayers. Bring the nasty junk of your life into the presence of Jesus. That's where it gets healed. That's where it gets broken off. And when you pretend that you're further along to God, you're not duping him, right? He's not fooled by that. We talked about strongholds a few weeks ago. The idea of a stubborn disposition or stronghold or mindset or value system or thought process that hinders our growth in Christ. We talked about how these are formed. And one of the ways that strongholds are formed is through words or wounds. Somebody said something to you or someone did something to you that was evil, What happens in that moment is the enemy comes in and whispers to you that the words were spoken are true over you or the thing that happened to you is now your identity and try and make you feel dirty or worthless. And if you're not careful, the enemy would have you identifying yourself by what happened to you. You're not what happened to you. The enemy wants you to embrace uh, embrace that you are what happened to you, but the God of the Bible wants to redeem it and weaponize it and punch the devil in the face with it, right? That's what he wants to do. I love that there are some of you in this room that the grace of God is so strong upon your life that, that if you were to tell everybody in this room what your before Jesus days were like, people would be like, really? Right, because God has so transformed your life. I, I, I love that. And, and, and I'm sure it has to be a trip when some people from your past come to church on a Sunday morning and you've not seen them since after you got saved and they're like, oh, wait, what? They come here? Right? 
And then to even take it a next level where those people come in and they see you lifting your hands, worshiping Jesus, and they're like, what happened to that guy? Like, whatever happened to him, I want it. If God can get a hold of their heart, he can get a hold of my heart, right? It has to be a trip for people, but I'm just telling you, that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. There are some of you who've gone through horrific things, and when people who know you see you worshiping and serving Jesus, it brings reproach on the name of the enemy and praise to the name of Jesus. There are some of you who have every opportunity in the world to be bitter and angry and join communities of revenge, but instead Christ has ransomed you, rescued you, saved you, and flipped the evil on its head and now has weaponized it back to its true cause, and I love it. I love it. And so we get here by bringing the real vulnerable us into the presence of Jesus. Look, there are some prayers that are prayed in the Bible that if some of you prayed them in a small group setting when you're having prayer would make some people feel a little uncomfortable. Right Before our first service at 8 o'clock, we have prayer each Sunday morning, and we're circled up in prayer. And can you just imagine, like as we're going around and we're praying for this, and we're praying for this, and praying for this, and then the next person is like, and Lord, I just feel like you're constantly forgetting me. But yet, that's a prayer that was prayed in the Bible. Or what about the prayer that Jeremiah prayed that, uh, that had this Hebrew word that, uh, that means that God deceived me. And so Jeremiah is saying, God, you deceived me. And it's even beyond that. It, it means more like you took advantage of me like I was a weak-willed woman. And so Jeremiah has this prayer in the Bible that's like, God, I feel like you've taken advantage of me like a weak-willed woman. Can you imagine if you're circled up in your small group and somebody prayed that prayer? These are some of the prayers in the Bible, and they're not tidy, and they're not neat, they're grimy. And it's people bringing their full self into the presence of Jesus, and they're not trying to pretty it up, they're just confessing it. And I just want to say a couple of things with this. Number one, obviously, there are some things that you can pray privately that you don't have to pray out loud in a group. But with that said, I want this to be a safe place for people who are on a journey of faith, who are on a journey of faith. So we recognize that God is big enough to handle all of this and shape us and form us and steer us in the right direction. And so we can be honest with God about our feelings and we can be honest with God about our struggles. We don't have to use general language when it comes to our struggles with God. He already knows, right? So we don't have to pray these vague prayers. Instead, let's get specific. God, this is where I'm struggling. This exact area, would you set me free and let me experience freedom? Why is this so hard for some people to do? I think it's hard because so many people have a scarcity mindset. They believe that God's too small. And so they don't do this stuff because they feel like God's not gonna be enough or because if they do it, what if it brings out their full selves in the presence of God and find that it's not enough? What would it do to their lives? What would it do to their worldview? What what would it do? That's a, a scarcity mindset. But how many know that we don't serve a weak or a poor God? We serve a strong God. We serve the all-powerful God who's more than enough. Right? That's a place for an amen. So if it was that quiet there, let me just tell you. Like, we serve a God who is more than enough. We don't serve a God of scarcity. We don't serve a God who who you're going to leave disappointed when you bring that stuff to him. Instead, we serve an all-powerful God who's more than enough. The other reason why we don't do this is because of fear. 
People are afraid, afraid to discover that they're really a fraud or dispensable or afraid to find out that all their fears are true. And so they're afraid and they don't step in. I just want to remind all of us of Psalm chapter 51, verse number 17 this morning. It says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Full self, honest self in the presence of Jesus. And God says, I'll never despise that. The broken and the contrite spirit, I will never despise. Deep work over time. Eugene Peterson called the Christian life a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. So we think about this stuff, there are a multitude of seasons. And none of them will define you, but they'll all shape you. And some of you need to hear this morning that it's not always going to be like this. It's not always going to be like this. And so I don't know what season you're in. Maybe you're in an amazing season. I pray that it stays that way. And God takes you from one amazing season to the next for others who aren't in an amazing season, remember, it's not always going to be like this. And I pray that God would bring renewal and revival in this season. One of the things that God wants to do is pull you out of the season that you're in now and move you into the next season that he has for you. And the Spirit's always wooing us and moving us towards what's next, always wooing us from uh, out of the present place. And so what would it look like for you to come out of the season that you're currently in? What tangible steps do you need to take to move to what's next for you? As far as the Lord has made it available to you to know and understand deep work over time, and the final thought is this, in community. Community is essential to the Christian walk. Community is essential to the Christian walk. It's what forms us. And when we spend time with people, we pick up on the little things that they do for good or evil, and they pick up on the little things that we do for good or for evil. When we're around one another, we pick up on subtlety. We see when others are mourning or rejoicing and we can respond appropriately. Who are your people? Who are the people that you share the same humor with? I was at an event recently where somebody was talking and there was something that was said and I'm just telling you, I started sending text messages and gifts to these people and we were laughing. I was like looking down the aisle, did you, you know? Like, and we get each other, right? Same sense of humor and uh, it's, uh, these people get me and I get them. We need people. And what the devil wants to do is to try to pick off people and isolate us. And so here's what happens in a church. People come in completely lost and they get saved and they get discipled and they start growing in their relationship with Jesus and they find a place of belonging and now all of a sudden one of the enemy's tactics is to get you annoyed by the very people that you belong to. And so you get in a small group and now you're like, oh, I just can't even. This guy's hypocrisy is just ridiculous. Right? And somehow you forget that maybe there's sin in your life or maybe at one time you were a hypocrite and somehow you're so deceived that you're like, well, my sin smells different than that. My sin smells like roses. 
Maybe you're in a worship service, and I, I got to be careful because in first service, I was saying, I, was about, I said this line, and immediately my phone dinged, and the guy was like, I'm sorry I sang so bad. And I'm like, I wasn't talking about you. So I'll just tell you that those sitting behind me today in both first and second service sang beautifully. And wow, what an experience in that song. It was like a choir of angels hosts today singing as Pastor Levinsky led us in worship today. And there was that quiet moment where all these voices, all oh, it was it was beautiful but there are some people that that the enemy would try to get you looking inward and so now you're like oh, I can't even worship because the people behind me sing so bad and so loud and if ah you know and like it, we become so judgy and so then rather than doing the hard work of being in community with one another the enemy tries to tr- try to convince us that the best way forward is to isolate and disengage And isolation is what ultimately leads to us being devoured and our faith shipwrecked. We need to be in community and work through things together. We need to be in community where people can bring their doubts and their tough questions. And I'll just tell you, there are answers to everyone's tough questions. There are ways to talk about things in community. My wife and I are so grateful that for the last eight and a half years, we've been able to raise our children in this season in community, right? And so when my kids were doing great, there was rejoicing around. When our kids have had questions or when things haven't been amazing, there's been community around to bring them and help them. And I'll just tell you, to try to live out this life in isolation isn't going to work. And so parents, when you isolate because somebody doesn't sing the way that you thought they should sing or somebody in your small group doesn't talk the way that you thought that they should talk and now all of a sudden you leave the church and your kids aren't part of the church anymore, where are they receiving that moral influence in their life? I'll tell you, it's outside of church and that's not a great place. And so I wanna encourage all of us, let's work through the difficulties of living in community. Let's make sure that our kids are involved in community. Make sure that your children come to VBS this this summer. Make sure they come this week. Get them signed up for camp, teenagers and kids. And this fall, when small groups launch back up, make sure that you're the first to sign up. Lead the way. Husbands, don't make your wives drag you and be like, I don't want to come. No, be like, hey, babe, let's, let's do this. Small groups. Let's live in community. Let's not live in isolation. Let's be around people who will see things in us and call it out in us. Call out the great things in us and encourage us and call out the bad things in us and rebuke us. Come on. That's what living in community is all about. Let's have our kids part of Kids Church where people are investing in them and telling them biblical moral values. Tell them not to look in and look out and look up, but instead just look up to Jesus. This is what God's calling us to do. And I'm just telling you, if you sit back passively, the world is going to pass you by. It's going to catch you up. It's going to catch your kids up and your families up. It's not what God has for us. God wants us to lead the way. Let's live in community. Some of you are like, I don't have people. It must be nice to have people. Well, be that person for someone else and create it. Right? Some of you are like, I don't have any friends. Be a friend to somebody. Right? What do we tell our kids when they're teenagers or when they're, when they're younger? And they're like, I don't have any friends. Well, make a friend. Be a friend to somebody. Right? So I just say that to all of us. Let's be friends to one another. Find people who not only laugh at your jokes, but who care about your soul. Be in a group that's spurring one another along in their faith and in the deep things of God. And I just want to encourage you, take a step because long obedience in the right direction, in the same direction, deep work over time and community.
Will you bow your heads and will you close your eyes all across this room? Maybe there are some of you who've come in today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior. And you say, today, I want to become a follower of him. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God, but you've turned your back on him. You say, today, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. In just a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time. Or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three, lift them up all across this room. Thank you, I see that hand. You can put it down. Are there others this morning? Thank you, God. Let's all stand. There was at least one hand that went up this morning of people who need to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who need to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And if you raised your hand, I want you to repeat it after me. Mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. If you prayed that prayer, we want to encourage you along in the decision that you've made. We'd ask that you would text the word yes to 319-250-8998. Text the word yes to 319-250-8998. Prayer team's about to come forward. They're going to be positioned on both sides of the stage. We leave time at the end of each of our services. If you've come here today needing prayer for anything, I would encourage you in just a moment when the worship team leads out in this next song that you would step out of your seat that you would come forward, that you would take that next step in community, right? And find somebody to pray with you. So I'm gonna lead us in prayer. When I'm done, the worship team's gonna lead us in a song and the prayer team will be up here. I'd encourage you to step out of your seat and come forward for prayer. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you go with us and that you fight our battles for us. So Lord, this morning, as we've looked at your word, I pray that you would give us the boldness and the courage to live it out. Lord, for those who are questioning whether or not they have the ability to do what you've asked them to do, may they be reminded today that you have made them for the day and the day for them. And so as we walk in the anointing that you've given to us, the, the skills, the talents, and abilities, would we wreak havoc on the enemy's plans and would we advance your gospel in a mighty and a powerful way? Lord, go with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.